0: Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. Today's episode, we'll talk a little bit more about foreign policy, and then I'm going to shift gears over the next couple episodes in the coming months to things that are much more in my direct wheelhouse of expertise and experience. But again, you know, on foreign policy, I I'm quite friendly and know well some of the country's foreign policy experts. I work with them and, uh, you know, I, I read a lot, know a lot of history. So, you know, it's a relatively informed uh, opinion, although you you all be the judge of that. Um, but I do have some things to say uh, on foreign policy, particularly ways that Biden has really exceeded expectations and I think deserves credit. Before I get to that, I just do want to talk a little, sadly, about the massacre of... Um, Black people in Buffalo, um, and I just want to just be clear about this: this massacre by this white supremacist nut job was a de- direct result of the Republican Party and the conservative movement. They are preaching racism and hate, and they are preaching it night and day on all the far right, you know, um, venues they can, and that leads to violence they have blood on their hands. Now, of course, because there's no accountability in our society and because you can't, you know, directly trace people who hundreds and hundreds of times talk about the great replacement theory um, to one particular incident, um, that would obviously be unjust because, you know, you can't draw the direct, you know, lie. He didn't, you know, these people, they didn't grab the gun and put it in the guy's hand. But it's, Ethically, they're responsible, right? And again, they have blood on their hands. And also, they don't care. I just want to be clear about this. If these people cared, they would be having some doing some soul searching. And they would be deeply, deeply apologizing for the terrorism that they are inciting. But again, they're making money, they're getting power, and these are evil fascists, and they don't give a fuck. Okay, so let's just call it what it is. Now, just to go a little deeper into this, again, it's almost not worth it because the American rights position on guns is so fucking blisteringly insane that it's not even really worth dignifying it with a a, a rational discussion. But I do think there's a couple things just to note, right? So This was an 18-year-old kid with an AR-15 assault weapon and full body armor. Right. So, again, in any other sane society or in any sane society, because we are not a sane society in any sane society that is just not possible in Britain, in Canada, in Germany, in Japan, in Australia, in Korea. Right. You can't go get an assault weapon and body armor as an 18 year old. You just can't do that. The average citizen can't have military-grade weapons and walk around the streets with it. That's just not allowed because people in those societies know how fucking nuts that is and what it will lead to. But in our society, we allow it. And the right wing says, if only everybody was armed to the teeth, then we could prevent the maniacs. So let's just use this Buffalo Massacre in this example just once and for all to just shoot this fucking nonsense down and just bury it. First thing is, he rolls up, rolls out of his car, and just starts shooting people. And a lot of these were elderly people. So again, how's elderly grandma doing her shopping going to whip out her fucking gun and start shooting the guy with the assault weapon, right? Doesn't make any sense. But this one has an even deeper lesson. Because there actually was a security guard in the grocery store with 30 years of security training because he was a police officer and he was armed and he shot the guy. He did what the right wing tells you to do. The hero shoots the Matt, the gunman. But you know what? He had full fucking body armor and it didn't hurt him enough. And he then killed the security guard. So what, is it now everyone's supposed to be walking around in full fucking body armor and guns? Is that the right wing's fucking, you know, solution? You can tell I'm pissed about this because the one thing above all that I hate about America is that we have to do it. We tolerate mass violence on this scale of innocent people and nobody on the right wing fucking gives a shit. Now, of course, the Democrats have been unable to pass gun safety legislation Um, But that's not for want of trying. It's the right wing that is preventing it. And the right wing who just doesn't give a shit about just carnage on a scale that no other developed country in the world faces. The amount of gun deaths in the United States is like low-level wars. It's like an El Salvador type situation. And we're the richest country in the world. And we tolerate it. And we know nothing is going to fucking change because the right wing are lunatics. They like the violence. And as long as it's black people and poor people, they just don't fucking care. So that's part one. I wanted to get that out of the way. That's not related to what I'm going to talk about today, but I just needed to get that out of the way. So deep breath here, change topics. I want to move into this discussion of Biden's foreign policy, but first contrast it to his domestic policy achievements. The reality is, and I hate to say this, you know, a year, almost a year and a half into Biden's administration, but so far he has underperformed on domestic policy. He made a lot of promises and set expectations way too high and was unable to deliver. Now, let's be clear. It's basically Joe Manchin, maybe Kirsten Cinema. It's one or two people in the Senate who are fucking over his whole you know, progressive agenda. But the bottom line is he shouldn't have set expectations so high unless he knew he could deliver. You just don't do that, right? My motto in life, under promise, over deliver. Don't over promise, under deliver. And on domestic policy, I love Joe, but that's the right now, you know, in May 2022, that's the reality. There have been no major progressive victories that he promised, right? We passed that expended child tax credit in the American Rescue Plan. That was great. But then it was gone after a year and no extension. So, you know, that just doesn't count. You know, doing a progressive policy for a year and then pulling the rug out, not going to give a lot of credit to him for that. There's obviously been some good stuff in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, You know, that was a pretty big victory. It wasn't a progressive victory, but it was a pretty solid victory. And there was some good stuff in there that was progressive. And he's done a lot on the federal agencies. You know, the federal agencies are really doing, you know, good stuff with the resources they have. But so far, there's no climate bill, there's been no change to the tax policy. So, you know, Trump's incredibly regressive giveaway taxes to the rich and corporations of 2617 17 is completely intact. And there's been no long-term social policy that he's enacted. So I, I, you know, I have to give him a pretty bad grade on domestic policy. Now, again, it's not over yet. When I started this year, I said, you know, we got to have some Electoral Reform Act bill. We got to have some climate bill. And maybe, just maybe, you know, cross our fingers, put good vibes out into the you know universe here, maybe something will happen before the end of the summer, and then I'll change my assessment. But right now, pretty big failure on domestic policy. But now switching gears, on foreign policy, he has exceeded expectations with one big caveat that I'll get to. Let's just kind of put some context here. Joe comes from a tradition of failed wars and just stupid, stupid U.S. policy. He has been part of the Washington blob that has gotten us into a lot of this stupid policy. He voted for the Iraq war. He was a big supporter of the global war on terrorism, at least for the beginning part. But clearly he has learned some lessons and he has impressed on many friends. First, getting out of Afghanistan was the right thing to do. It was an illegitimate terrorist state that was raping, murdering, and injuring its own people with impunity for 20 years. And he knew that we had to get out. It was not worth continuing down this illegitimate road. The exit was handled as well as it could be. Yes, it wasn't handled perfectly, but it was a major logistic challenge. It was like a Berlin airlift type scenario. And you know what? People died. I do not want to be cavalier about that, but the notion that we were going to exit Afghanistan as the government crumbled and nothing bad was going to happen, that's a fantasy. They did as best as they could. Where this is the one caveat on foreign policy, where he is doing real damage to the Afghani people is in withholding the central bank money from the Taliban, which is now, you know, causing huge suffering uh, among the Afghani people. I get it. You don't want to legitimize the Taliban. But you know what? Too bad. You had 20 years to put in a legitimate government that the Afghani people would support. We failed. The Taliban is the government of Afghanistan. And it's, you know, it it is what it is. You know, it's the world as it is, not as we'd like it to be. And withholding, you know, $7 billion, $8 billion in in reserves that, that could be used, obviously some of it for bad stuff for the Taliban. Right. But some of it to feed the people and withholding it so that people starve after we spent two trillion dollars, a lot of it directly paying people that were killing Afghan civilians. Right. That level of hypocrisy and double standard and just callousness to these people who have suffered so much is incredibly wrong. And I have called my senators and congressmen and women and the Biden White House, and I am imploring them to free up that money. Because it's wrong that, you know, it was right to get out, but wrong to withhold money that is the Afghani people's money, especially when people are are suffering. So, again, getting out right, withholding money, wrong. Where Biden has really excelled is um, in Ukraine. And I want to talk about that more right after the break. OK, so let's talk about Ukraine here, because on this, I think Biden has basically done everything right. You know, before the war even started, the U.S. intelligence was amazing and he exposed Russia and beat them at the propaganda war. He knew they were going to do some kind of false flag operation to make a, you know, an excuse for invading, for invading Ukraine and, you know, a lot of muddy the waters and he exposed them. He said, we see what you're up to. We know what you're about to do. And the Russians denied it. And then when they did it, it, he was proven right. Right. They absolutely were got there, you know, got played completely. And he really just owned them because he said what they were going to do. They denied it. And then they did it. Obviously, then we kicked really into high gear of supplying direct military support to the Ukrainians. And we just passed a, another forty billion dollar bill. After a, other multi, you know, tens of billions of dollars we've given them, we have the lend-lease program where we're giving them U.S. you know weapons. Of not only money, but we're actually giving them our own weapons and weapons from other countries that then will, you know, we will help resupply them. And this has really given the Ukrainians a chance to win. And at first, it was just to help the Ukrainians protect themselves and minimize the damage. But when it became clear that the Russian military was much weaker and less prepared than people realize, you know, the Biden administration really shifted to let's give the Ukrainians what they need to win. And that's a big deal. Right. Russia is suffering huge losses. I've already talked about how the economics, the sanctions are the strongest ever imposed on on another country um, during, you know, the modern era. And they're having big impacts. Now, Russia is making a lot of money. From oil and gas. They had a lot of central bank reserves that they had for such a, uh, you know, a moment because they wanted to be buffered from the impacts of having their central bank cut off. But it is starting to bite. Remember, we're only a couple months into this, right? So as this wears on, this is going to be a devastating impact to the Russian economy. It's a devastating impact to the Russian military. And also just, I didn't even know the statistic, but the Russian military budget, just take a guess what it is. Think of number in your head. Right, the US military budget is about 800 billion and that's without a lot of other agencies that, you know, are basically military like the Department of Energy gets tens of billions for the nuclear weapons. So basically America's about a trillion dollars in annually. Russia 66 billion, right? Our military budget is 15 times Russia's. And we're now giving Ukraine money that's on par with the amount that Russia spends on its military. And we're giving them better weapons. So this is real serious stuff. Biden has also rallied Europe. He rallied Europe in a way that was a soft touch. He didn't go out in front and kind of rallied from behind. And that Europe is, is responding and stepping up in big ways. And in fact, in many ways, more than the U.S. And, and with respect to getting off of oil and really, you know, making a clear break from Russia on, on the, this oil and gas. Now, of course, you know, some of the countries in Europe, particularly Germany, are very wary about fully cutting it off. And I get it right there. You know, this is the lifeline to their economy. And now they're in a very difficult position, but at least they're moving in the right direction. NATO is likely to be expanded, you know, with Sweden and Finland wanting to join and the EU is being strengthened. Right. So, you know, Biden has really stepped up consistently since even before the war started again you know, showing the Russians to the world what they were up to, playing them out, holding them to account from day one, and then really giving the Ukrainians the resources they need to not just hold the line, but potentially win the war. Now, Russia is losing badly. They are being humiliated. So this is the most dangerous time, right? You have a a military superpower being humiliated. And Biden has also called Putin a war criminal. He said in those offhand remarks that he hopes someone takes him out, right? Um, Overall, I think Biden's been pretty restrained and cautionary, but when he's talking about red lines, he hasn't responded when Putin talks about nuclear weapons because he doesn't want to amp up that rhetoric. So I think Biden, again, has walked a fine line, but pretty solid. Um, And in some ways, to be honest, I'm surprised Russia hasn't been more aggressive, I'm surprised they haven't launched a cyber attack on U.S. power grid or telecom or something. And they might be just biding their time, right? Things could get much uglier very quickly, right? And so this is going to be tough. This is a really tough foreign policy challenge. This is tougher than Afghan war, tougher than the Iraq war, because we knew those enemies were weak. We just harmed ourselves by wasting money, creating chaos, murdering people and you know believing our own mythologies and lies about what we could do to transform those countries but it wasn't tough in the sense that we were facing a difficult adversary now we are even though we are not directly fighting the russians we are in a proxy war with russia right we are really this is this is close to a hot conflict because we are you know giving the weapons that are killing russians directly to the ukrainians right now also remember Biden is hurting himself politically by his support for the Ukraine war, right? Because the price of oil and the price of gasoline is having big domestic political repercussions that are hurting the Democrats, right? So, you know, I just want to say, again, this is a difficult moment. And there's, you know, we're going to have to just, you know, really be cautious going forward. And I I trust that Biden is, is thinking about this very clearly. Before taking another break here, I want to just take a moment to acknowledge how the GOP elites are playing this. I want to be clear, I am like almost 100% confident that behind closed doors, they are thrilled that Biden is president. Because now they can pretend to be patriotic and support Ukraine. And just remember, again, Americans' attention span is so short, but the first impeachment trial back in 2020... The reason Trump got impeached in the summer of 2020 is because he tried to shake down Zelensky of Ukraine for dirt on Joe Biden by withholding military aid to him, right? The last president re- literally tried to blackmail Zelensky, and the Republican Party was fine with it. They didn't vote to impeach him, and they didn't vote to convict him, except a couple you know, out of hundreds, right? And this is including Mitch McConnell right? These people are traitors. They they would have thrown Zelensky under a bus. And if, if Trump was president right now, they would be throwing Zelensky under a bus. So they love the fact that although they are traitorous and fascist, that they get to pretend that they're patriotic on the side of democracy because Biden is president. And McConnell, you know, did his recent visit and shook, you know, Zelensky's hand and he went with some other Republicans. You know what? The reality is Ultimately, I'm glad that they're doing it. I'm glad they're showing a unified front to Putin. We need unified support to Ukraine. And, you know, so again, I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately fine with it. But just let's be clear. The Republicans are gaslighting traitors, right? If Trump was in power right now, they'd be throwing Zelensky and the entire Ukrainian people under a bus. And I don't say that as opinion. I say that because they already did two years ago, right? So these are facts. These are not opinion. All right. With that, I'll come back after the break with the antidote. Okay, so for the antidote today, I just want to start by saying it matters a lot who is president, especially in foreign policy, given the almost unlimited power of the executive branch in foreign affairs. Right, a lot of us are disappointed with aspects of the Biden administration. I am deeply disappointed that we haven't gotten climate policy. Disappointed doesn't even really touch on my feelings here because this is existential stuff. Right, I got a young baby here and. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this world's going to be habitable when she gets older because we're just not doing what we need to do, right? So I am deeply disappointed. I am angry. I am frustrated, right? But just having Biden as president during this Ukrainian war with Russia is way more than enough for me to be happy that I supported him and that he won. This is an existential fight between fascism and democracy. And Biden has put the U.S. on the right side and he he's done it with strength and confidence. That's huge. And it's everything we could hope for in a president. Right? We had George Bush getting us into failed wars. Right? We had Trump, a traitor, you know, literally trying to undermine NATO and uh, and undermine the Ukrainian people and basically sucking Putin's cock every time he, you know, every opportunity he could. So just remember here, the antidote here is just remember that elections have consequences. And in Biden's case, it's not about choosing a lesser of evils, right? I hate that nonsense. Oh, the Democrats are evil, but they're just not quite as evil. Bullshit. This is a choice between choosing a good president instead of a truly evil one. And we got the good president, even if not perfect, even if frustrating, even if, if you know, disappointing. He is a good man. And on this key, key foreign policy, he is doing exemplary work. So let's celebrate that and hope for Ukrainian victory and also hope that the Democrats can pass some more bills before the midterms and then go in strong into November. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. And with that, everybody, have a great rest of the week. Take care.